So far on this season, we have approached the topic of homestead business and homestead entrepreneurship from more of kind of a broad, bird's eye view angle. But on today's episode, we're going to get specific and dive into a particular business venture that may very well be a viable and lucrative option for you and your homestead. Microgreens are increasing in popularity, and while I've grown them for myself off and on over the years, I never even considered growing them for profit. However, there is definitely a market for this, and I am so excited to have an expert on this very thing joining me on today's episode. Laura Patterson is a homesteader, a mom to three young kids, and a successful businesswoman. Laura is the creator of Hand Grown Greens, a small microgreens farm that's committed to growing organic, nutrient-dense microgreens year-round throughout her local community. And she's also an advocate for the fact that a microgreens business can be a wonderful source of weekly revenue for any homestead. If you think a microgreens business might be a good fit for you, hang out to the end to find out how to access Laura's free mini course on this very topic. Now, on to the episode. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I am Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I have helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. Me too. This is going to be a good conversation. Um, so we were just chatting before I hit the record button and I was, we were talking about how um, I feel like this topic, microgreens in particular, is not something we hear a lot about when we're talking about homestead business or farm business. So um, when you messaged me on Instagram, I instantly was like, oh, I got to have her on, especially during the season, because it's going to give us, I think, just just more ideas, get people's creative wheels turning. So it's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. It's been such an amazing thing for me and my family that I am excited to share with other people who might be looking for uh, an opportunity like this. Absolutely. So start off, give us a little background because I know you haven't been a microgreen farmer your whole life. Like what, what were you in your former life? Right. No, I haven't. Uh, I worked in healthcare. So I was a registered nurse for about 12 years. I worked in a variety of hospital settings. And over the years, I kind of became more and more disenchanted with uh, my role in the healthcare system. While I am, I found definitely positive and beneficial things. I felt like I was making an impact on people's lives. And there's a lot of positive things. There were a lot of aspects of my shift work of my day-to-day, what I was doing in my job that just weren't aligned with who I felt like I was becoming as a person. And I also just felt like it was very disjointed. I really wanted to find a way that I could mesh life and work rather than going off and doing work and then coming home to my family and living life. I really wanted to find a way I could mesh the two. And I was really drawn to a farming or a homesteading type of 
existence, but I was also very scared uh, that I wouldn't be able to make it work financially. And so I, I kept working as a nurse for years after I was uh, not completely uh, at peace with it uh, because I was holding on to that security of health mm-hmm. insurance and money and all that thing, those things we need to survive. Uh, and I found out about microgreens and I first started growing just as a way to kind of have a project with my kids. My kids were very young. Um, They were about two and three when I started. I had two, now I have three, but uh, they were very young. And I was so excited to instill this love of growing and of connecting with food in them. And so we started this garden and I could just see that yes, they love to play in the dirt, but they weren't making the connection in our garden with planting seeds and what ended up on their plate. So I I started microgreens because I thought, this is great. They grow so fast. Literally a week after you sprinkle the seeds, you are harvesting them and eating them. And it was perfect for my young kids. So that's how I first started growing was really just as a way that I could show my kids visually and and get them connected to food that they're eating. And they loved it because they could do it themselves. Even at that young, young age, they could sprinkle those seeds, you know, spritz them with their little water bottle and watch them grow and were excited to eat them. So I got more excited. And then I started just growing more and more. I started growing in trays and then I bought a rack and started growing lots of trays. And then we had far too many microgreens for our family to eat. But I started reading about all the nutritional benefits. So I got, I just got really excited about all this had to offer. And I was able to do it in a short amount of time. So even with my busy work schedule and managing the kids with just a few minutes a day, I could check on my microgreens, seed them, harvest them, do whatever I needed to do. It wasn't like going out to the garden where I was always behind in my weeds. And it was a hard thing to manage with young kids. The microgreens was something that was doable. So that's kind of how I started. The more I started doing it, the more I uh, researched, I found that people were making money doing this and were selling to restaurants and stores and farmers markets. And so I thought, well, maybe I could at least get this to pay for itself. I could be a way that I could produce something that I really believe in that's you know, healthy and I can produce locally year round was a really big one for me also because uh, the seasonality of growing also made it challenging uh, when I'm thinking about trying to make money and all of that. So I got excited. I started growing. I got my first customer and it's just grown from there. Um, and it's been a really, really awesome thing for me to do. And I've actually stepped away from nursing and now I'm doing it full time. So okay. uh, it's grown into something. Uh, microgreens is just a incredibly scalable business. I love that. Um, so much good stuff there. So how long were you doing both? Because I know that's a position a lot of folks are in where they're like, I want to do this other thing, this other business that aligns with me, but I, I need, I still need income or insurance. So how long were you kind of, um, had a foot in both worlds? Uh, almost two years. Okay. Yeah where it wasn't my full, I was just kind of doing it on the side. And I think it's a smart way to do it. Um, For me, it was just too much pressure and too scary and too risky. And the whole reason I was doing it is I wanted to have this sort of blend of family. So I didn't want it to just become another job where I was like, I need to get Mm -hmm. someone to watch my kids so I can do this now. I really wanted to build it slowly so that it was something that I could do while I was taking care of my kids. That was my goal. Uh, And it was something that was doable on that scale because it's so small scale. Uh, I have worked on farms and uh, 
So my sort of vision of anything that involves any sort of mechanical cultivation or need of a tractor, you now no longer can be watching your toddlers while you're doing this, right. you know? So I started my business as hand-grown greens because I really wanted to step away from my experience in farming and, and do everything with my hands, everything that I could do with my kids right there. And it started very small. And that's the nice thing about microgreens is it can start very small. You can be growing four trays a week for one customer. And if that's just bringing in a little extra money and helping you and something you enjoy doing and that feels rewarding to you, you can keep it at that level or you can grow it until it's at a level that it could replace a, a full-time income. So it's just, there's so much room in between those two extremes that can fit different people's situations and what they're looking for. Yeah. And so yeah, I love the flexibility. Okay. Yeah. So just before we go any further into the specifics, just in case there's someone who doesn't know what a microgreen is, can you give us the, the basics of what is a microgreen? I'm sure people have an idea, but just so we're clear. Absolutely. Yeah. I should have started with that. There's actually is, I feel like some, uh, it's, it's unclear a little bit for some people, like you said, most people have heard of them, but what they actually are microgreens are referring to a stage in a plant's life. So just to kind of give a visual, I think of like a sprout as a germinated seed. The next stage in a plant's life is a microgreen when it's a seedling. Okay. And then you go on to baby greens and mature vegetables after that. So it's kind of a stage in the plant's life. So many, many, many different vegetables, uh, herbs, even edible flowers can be grown as microgreens because it means you're just harvesting them when they're seedlings. So real difference between sprouts. And this is an important, this is a, the, biggest area of confusion I feel like is sprouts and microgreens often get interchanged and I can see why they're both yeah. early stages they're both nutrient dense uh, the difference between sprouts and microgreens is just microgreens have grown to that next level in the development so they are actually shoots or seedlings rather than just germinated seeds and from a okay. food safety standpoint they're considered a safe food because you're not eating the root and the seed. They're harvested above the soil level and they're they're grown in open air and sunlight or open air and light. Sometimes they're grown in artificial lights, but they're not grown in this closed, dark, damp environment that uh, we sprout in where there's a higher risk for contamination. So if you're looking to sell your product, it's really nice to have a a product that's considered low risk. It just makes it so much easier from a liability uh, standpoint. So people, a lot of people know about sprouts and do sprouting on their own. And that's, that's great. I love sprouts, mm -hmm. but I don't want to sell sprouts uh, because okay. of everything that comes along with a high risk food. Microgreens are considered a low risk food because they're that next stage in a plant's life. And it's really the time in a plant's life when it's most packed with nutrition and flavor. And then you get these brilliant, vibrant colors that you don't have with sprouts also in microgreens. Yes. So they're very visually attractive, which is a, a big thing. You know, we eat with our eyes, we see this pretty bright colors and there's the great flavor and then the nutrition. So, so there's a lot of, a lot of good selling points for microgreens. Okay. So just so I'm clear, so I've done sprouts a lot, like, and for yeah. those of you who've never done either, like for sprouts, we will take like alfalfa seeds or broccoli seeds and I'll put them in water and rinse them in a mason jar, let's say. Yeah. And it just is in a, literally in a jar. And then within a few days, they start to get their germination going and then you can eat them. But microgreens would be like, you're planting them in soil, like an actual right. plant. And then you're just cutting, cutting them off at the soil base, basically. Is yeah. That 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they can grow in a variety of mediums. I grow in soil. Some people use various other mediums to grow. They can't even be grown hydroponically, some of them, but I just grow in soil. I love growing okay. in soil. Yeah. And so basically I grow in flats or trays and I seed very densely. So I fill a tray with soil. I press it down. I sprinkle seeds till they're it's covering almost the whole surface of the tray. I water those in, stack them, they germinate, I uncover them. And in a few days, I'm cutting them and harvesting them. So it's a very okay. simple, clean process. Yeah. Okay. And it's interesting, you mentioned that about the sprouts um, and the contamination. Is it, what is the, is it salmonella or what is it that's the concern with sprouts? Because I've there heard are, that mentioned over the years. Yeah, there are multiple different foodborne pathogens that just thrive in that warm, damp, dark, okay environment uh, that at least the USDA has determined these to be a high-risk food. So it doesn't mean you can't grow them and market them, but it does mean that your liability insurance is going to be um, high. And so it's going to be hard to get into that um, initially, you know, some large operations that can definitely afford that cost as part of their business expense. But what I love about microgreens is the startup is so low. There's just such a low barrier to entry mm-hmm. because all you need are really minimal growing supplies. And even your business license or liability insurance, whatever you need, the few hoops you need to jump through, they're just very minimal. The cost is minimal. It's considered a raw agricultural product like anything you would grow uh, as a field crop for for okay. U.S. anyway. It's, yeah. You have to look into your particular area if you are living outside of the United States or uh, and to see what, what the Department of Agriculture that you're working with what they deem microgreens to be, but in the U S they're considered a low risk. So we would, I would be able to sell them. Like I know some States can't do raw milk or you can't do eggs in a certain way, or there's all these cottage food laws are microgreens. Generally, I know you probably can't speak to all 50 States, but you're going to be something that you can use more easily just put on the market and not have to worry about as many hoops to jump through. Right. Yep. I would say that's generally true. Okay. That's, that's exciting. Cause I know sometimes that's really frustrating depending on where you live. Um, what are we looking at as far as their profitability and like margins? I know you said there's low startup costs. I can't imagine there being a lot involved. Um, and if you're not comfortable giving us exact numbers, that's okay. But just kind of, can you give folks an idea of what they would, could expect as far as profitability? Yeah. I think it's a really, really helpful thing, uh, to know, uh, if, when you're trying to decide if this is something you could get into. So you can start with a very, very lean setup that's going to be maybe a couple hundred dollars. I'm talking about buying trays, soil, fans, the few things that you're going to need. Um, Most people grow microgreens vertically. So they take uh, advantage of space. You can grow these just on a rack system with grow lights. And this Mm -hmm. is a very inexpensive system. And it's a way that you can grow indoors in a climate controlled setup that makes it really, really easy to have predictable, consistent crops year round. So I always suggest new growers, they start with that. Um, If you follow me on Instagram or you see, I grow a lot outside also. I've moved into that. I love growing out in my greenhouse. It is much more challenging. Okay. (laughs) I have an indoor grow space also, and that is a really consistent uh, environment for me. I can control the temperature and the humidity and all of that. But a lean setup to just start with one rack, which is going to take up only four feet of space. So, you know, you can do this in a garage or a spare room or a kitchen, (laughs) wherever you have space inside to start growing. For about, you know, $200, you can get a setup. And as far as profitability goes, I look at how much I make per tray. 
So I choose varieties that grow quickly and have a fast turnover and are all on similar growth cycles. It just simplifies my process. And I would consider that I have about $5 into each tray, looking at the seed cost, the soil cost, and my labor, okay. um, and, and factoring in electricity, which is pretty minimal with the lights that I use and the fans that I use, uh, and I run a dehumidifier. So those are that's everything, really. Um, so I'm so, I know I have about $5 into each flat, and I sell each flat between $20 and $30. Wow. Okay. That's so fabulous. The, the margins are incredible compared to any other endeavor. And I've tried many <laughs> endeavors yes. of, of different things. Uh, most of the crops that I've grown for one, they're seasonal and for two, the margins just aren't that good. Uh, for microgreens, the margins are very good. And now I grow everything to order. So I'm not having wasted mm. product because the shelf life is short. I don't want to grow a bunch of microgreens and then hustle to try to sell them. I I establish my customer base and I grow specifically to order so that I don't have that okay. wasted product. So I can really count on profiting. Uh, again, between $20 and $30 a flat is what I will sell them for. So I can make anywhere from $15 to $25 per flat. And one rack you can grow uh, 20 flats on. Okay. So okay. wow. Yeah. Uh, you can crunch the numbers, you can start making some pretty good money pretty quickly. And if you don't have a lot of time, even with less, you know, a few minutes a day, really less than an hour, you can easily grow, you know, eight to 12 flats and just crunch the numbers on that and see if it's something that would make a difference for you, uh, particularly because it's very enjoyable uh, at that small level. When you start cranking out hundreds of flats a week, there's a lot of repetition to it. And yeah. uh, you know, you have to probably at that point start getting some help. And so you'll have to factor that into your profit margins. But when you keep it very lean, have a basic setup, small amount of trays per week, uh, you can your profit margins are very high. So does that give you specific enough? Yeah, that's awesome. And that's, that is a fabulous margin compared to especially like, you know, eggs or I, I've picked on eggs a lot on this season because I I, eggs are great and pe- they're a great place to start. And I still recommend people start with them. But I'm like, when you actually look at the margins on eggs, it's, kind of, it can be dismal depending on how your numbers work out. But this, this is, seems like a lot easier to get into. Yeah. How much time would you say you spend? I mean, you have a, like an operation now, how much time do you spend a week on, or do you have help at this point? Uh, I do have some help. Um, I would say I put about 10 hours a week into my okay. microgreens. My full-time job is taking care of my three kids. Um, yeah. I homeschool yeah. my first grader and kindergartner. I have a two-year-old. He's very busy. And um, just sort of taking care of all of our other uh, things on our in our world here, sure. our eggs and our garden, and our, you know, we we have all these sort of projects as well. So the microgreens is really a side business. It really starts a side hustle. It's grown into a larger business, and um, yeah, I'm at about ten hours a week. What okay. what I love about it is that it's given me some security with COVID and everything, and there just being a lot of uncertainty things. I really yeah. wanted something that I know I could scale up if I needed to. Mm-hmm. If our family needed the money, I know that I have the ability to scale up my, all it means is growing more trays. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I could scale up my production really at a moment's notice. You know, I have the ability to, to get more customers. Uh, I've got the marketing down. That is another, another part that takes a little bit of time is the marketing but it's just given me that uh, 
that security of knowing that I could make more money if I needed to. So if we came to a point where we really needed it, um, I could scale it up. Right now, it's at a good balance. We're comfortable uh, and I'm at a good level uh, having it be sort of a side business. Summer is basically here and we're all spending way more time outside working in the garden and around the barnyard. And one of the things I love to treat myself with at the end of a long day of working on the homestead is a sweet drink when I sit out on the back porch and watch the sun go down. Now, this may be a little bit of a surprise to you, but I kind of like Coke and other pops and sodas, but I do try to avoid them. And one of the ways I do that is by playing around with different flavors of iced tea. I like to add a little stevia or honey or maple syrup, a whole bunch of ice, and everybody is happy, even the kids. However, I have learned that not all teas are created equal. A lot of the teas that you might find at the grocery store have been treated with pesticides or they're packaged in bleached tea bags or they're loaded with a bunch of artificial junk. Thankfully, I have found some organic loose leaf teas that are amazing. The Positively Tea Company is family owned and operated and they take their tea very seriously. They have zero added sugars, but the taste and quality are amazing. Plus, their prices are hard to beat. I especially love the value of the one pound bags, which means you're basically getting four times the tea for only twice the price. So to grab your loose leaf teas for your summer nights on the homestead or the back porch, head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash tea, and you can get an additional 10% off your entire order with the code homestead. And now back to our episode. Um, So let's talk about marketing for a minute. I know you're going to order right now, which is really, really cool. How did you get to that point? Have you always done that? Or did you kind of do like the farmer's market route? I'd I'd love to hear your marketing strategy. Yeah, microgreens, there are many different customer bases that you can go after. So you have farmer's markets, which is a great entry point because there's really low pressure. You bring what you grow, right? So you don't have to have a particular amount of each variety that you've set up with someone who's expecting it each week. So it's a really easy entry point. It's also a great way to connect connect with customers and people who are actually buying your product. Um, Another great customer base is restaurants. And in recent times, there's been a lot going on in the restaurant world, as we know. So there's some additional uh, concerns with working with restaurants right now. But restaurants are starting back up and restaurants are a great way to sell microgreens because microgreens have a really short shelf life. Even restaurants that buy produce in from distributors often want local microgreens because they are fresh and they're vibrant, beautiful. They're often used as garnishes and incorporated into meals and they really want that attractive appearance of a nice fresh microgreens. And oftentimes you can't really get that from your distributor. Mm-hmm. So restaurants are a great uh, customer base. Also, that's my, was my first customer base. Well, my first customer was at one restaurant. Okay. And I basically just cold called a lot of restaurants in my area saying, I am a new microgreens grower in the area. Can I come and what's a good time that I could come and bring you some samples? 
And I got a restaurant who wanted to start buying and we set up a standing order and that was my first customer. So restaurants are a great way to go and they are really traditional customer for microgreens growers, particularly small scale microgreens growers, because you can decide how many restaurants you want to take on. You could start with one, you could scale it up to many, and you can also do some education working with chefs and talking to them about how they might incorporate microgreens into their dishes if they're not already using them. So we've got farmer's markets, we've got restaurants. You can sell direct to consumer is a exploding market right now, particularly in this last year where people have gotten really used to ordering things and having them delivered to their door. Uh, There are many home delivery systems that are just incredibly successful with uh, microgreens. So I am selling actually through a local distributor to a home delivery system and it has exploded. It has taken off. So for me, it is so nice because they do a lot of the marketing and they do all of the distributing. So I I drive 10 minutes and drop all of my (laughs) orders off in one spot and they they drive them around. With my three kids and no delivery driver, it's not practical for me to do a home delivery system, but I have found a way through a local distributor. So that's their next customer base is finding a food hub or a local distributor that you could partner with. So this is someone who is already finding customers who appreciate locally grown food. And you can say, I can contribute this. I have microgreens to offer you. So the distributor is another great way to go if you don't want to set up your own independent home delivery system. But setting up your home, a home delivery system is also an option. So you can see there's many different options. And people do this a lot through online marketing now, whether through Facebook or Instagram, they specifically uh, let people know in their local area what they have to offer. And people can sign up through a simple uh, software on their website and they can get weekly orders delivered to them. And you're going to get your highest profit margins this way. When you're selling directly to a consumer, obviously you're, you're going to get your, your highest uh, price. And it's, so it's, it's a win-win really for you as the grower and for the people growing, buying directly from you. You have that nice relationship and uh, it can just be a great, great way to go. Um, I also sell through CSAs, so you can look at local farms in your area that may be doing either a seasonal box or a year-round box, and you can provide microgreens so you can partner with another farmer. There's just so many different ways to market your microgreens. Definitely more than I thought. Like, I was literally just picturing your one shot was either farmer's market or delivering, which to me, anytime I think about me driving around town delivering, I'm like, absolutely not <laughs> on anything. And your sounds like you're the same way. So, like, the, the distributor thing is intriguing to me. Yeah. Um, and I that's had no really idea. I did not even know these. So, it, it pays to spend a little time. And a great way to, to, to find out if you're brand new to this is to go to farmer's markets and talk to local people in your area, other small farmers whether they're doing what you're doing or something different and find out um, and get on Google, look around, see. There are of course the huge distributors that we're probably our profit margins gonna tank if we we start selling to them or we won't have the volume or the consistency. But there's a lot of of increased uh, interest in buying locally. And this year, I have just seen, like I said, through the home delivery system, the interest has really skyrocketed. Uh, As far as people wanting to connect with their food, wanting to know where their food comes from, wanting to 
get back to, if they're not growing it themselves, at least buying it directly from who is growing it. So I think this is like a silver lining of this, this tough time that we've all been through is that there really is this interest and it's a, it's a phenomenal opportunity to get in growing food and microgreens is just something that there's a really low barrier to entry. So it's an easy starting point. And for me, I, I love it. You know, I just, uh, could I expand and start growing other things? I could, but I really love the mark, the microgreens and I love how specialized it is. And I love, I love the whole process. And there are just so many ways to market the microgreens. Yeah, that's, that's just exciting. So let's circle back around a little bit, um, kind of jumping all over, but my fault, not yours. (laughs) I have all these questions and I'm just, just going on the rabbit trails, but um, we talked a little bit about the setup, you know, the racks and the lights and the fans and um, give us a little bit more on just the specifics of growing. Like how, remind me how long you, I think you said maybe how long they take to grow from like planting the seed to when you're ready to harvest. What does that look like that process? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it depends on what type of microgreen you're growing. So like I said, there's many I've grown. I think I I started making a list. I was over 50 and I stopped writing all the ones that I've tried. So, so many different microgreens out there. I have really narrowed it down to about five of my most profitable. And those are what I grow primarily. Now, if I have a chef that I work with or um, something and they, they want a special order, something I will, I will grow that as well. But I really narrowed it down to, pea shoots, sunflower shoots, micro radish, micro broccoli, and then I do a micro mix, which is kind of a mix of different brassicas and mustards. And you can kind of do a spicy one or a more mild one. And it's very popular. So these are my most basic. They're the most approachable. People recognize them and know what to do with them, or they're easy to use. Mm -hmm. And they all have similar grow cycles. So I grow on a 10-day cycle, which means I soak my I soak my pea and sunflower seed. So that's one thing you do to prep larger seeds, or I do, you don't have to do, but I do. And then I plant everything on the same day. So I plant my pea, sunflower, radish, broccoli, everything on the same day based on the orders that I have coming up. So I go 10 days from when I'm going to be harvesting and I just set my cycle like that. I have my calendar. Now it's very uh, easy. I know what I do on what days. Um, and it's yeah. very systematic. So there's something kind of comforting when life is chaotic to have a, this is a planting day. This is a uncover day. This is a water day. So you'll do all your seeding about 10 days before you're going to harvest. Okay. You plant all of your trays out. Like I said, you prep your trays by just filling them with soil, light, leveling them off, sprinkling the seed and it's your seed very densely watering those in. And I actually stack all my, stack my trays up either four or five high. So I've actually stacked my trays. What that does is it just ensures that the seed is pressed into the soil. So you have that good seed soil contact and it keeps it dark and it keeps it moist. So you have all the kind of ideal conditions for germination. And it actually makes these microgreens grow much stronger. So you will see they actually lift up I even put weight on top. So I put about 15 pounds. I put a paver on top of these stacked trays and these little microgreens will push those trays. If you, if you forget to unstack them, they will actually topple over. They push them up so high. Okay. So they grow very strong that way. Um, And so I keep them stacked between three and four days. So they're just stacked on a tray three or four days and I don't water them. I don't check on them. You know, in the beginning, you you can't help but peek yeah, at them. Sure. <laughs> but, <laughs> yep. but now I kind Covering. of know. Uh, 
so on unstack, so really I don't have anything to do those days. And then I will unstack the trays at three to four days, depending on the, how warm it's been and uh, that. And I will then expose them to light, whether it's outside in my greenhouse or on my rack under my grow lights. Okay. And then they will be under the lights for the remaining time from five to seven days. And at that point, I will harvest them. Once I've unstacked them, I will water them daily. Okay, sure. And I just do that by bottom watering. So I just put each flat, which has holes in it. So you seed into a flat with holes in it. You place that whole flat into another flat with no holes. And then you can just bottom water. That keeps the microgreens very dry. So you're not having issues because they're planted so densely. They are at risk for disease and mold and that sort of mm. thing. So you really want to try to keep the leaves and the stems fairly dry. So I bottom water most of my micro, microgreens, and that makes it really clean and easy also. It takes me 10 or 15 minutes to hand water all of my microgreens okay. every day. So it's, it's pretty quick and easy. And then I, I harvest, I just use a sharp knife and just cut the entire tray off at, at soil level. And I package, I use these little compostable uh, plant-based packaging um, which is the best that I've option I've found as far as something that still holds the shelf life and isn't, you know, straight up petroleum made plastic. Yeah, right, right. Other people have found ways of marketing living microgreens. That's something I'm experimenting with. I haven't had a lot of success with it. I love the idea of it, but um, I cut all my microgreens and package them and then deliver them either that day or the next day. Okay. And how long do you have as far as its shelf life? I know probably not very long. What are you, you know, looking at with that? I'd say, I'd say seven days um, okay. from harvest. A lot of the microgreens will last a lot longer than that. My shoots mm. particularly will last weeks. They just have a really long shelf life. And if you are handling them with care, they are harvested when they're dry but hydrated. So you don't want to harvest limp microgreens, but you mm. don't want to harvest the wet microgreens. So that takes a little finessing. Uh, but I say seven days is safe when they're still going to be high quality. So I, that's what I date my microgreens for, best and eaten in seven days. Okay. Yeah, that's more than I thought, actually. I was picturing just a day or two. Oh, um, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago the nutritional benefits. And I know, I know these, just what I know about sprouts based on that, they're a powerhouse. What are some of the specifics of what people can expect from the benefits of, of microgreens? Yeah, this is something that's really exciting. I feel like microgreens initially came on the scene because they were pretty and because high-end chefs liked to sort of dress up their dishes with these pretty little fresh greens. But now research is coming out through many different studies. There's a study um, from the University of Maryland that talks about comparing microgreens and the mature counterpart of that vegetable. And they're finding, they're studying specific nutrients. So um, it's a lot to get into, but um, I do recommend you start looking at it if you're interested. There's four to 40 times the nutrients of some of these uh, specific nutrients they're looking at in the microgreen versus the mature vegetable. So they are just wow. incredibly densely packed with nutrition. And this is because it's a time in the seed's life or the plant's life when it's getting all of its nutrition from the seed itself. Yeah. So it's not really getting much energy from the sun or the soil yet. Um, if we continue to grow it, obviously that will happen, but we harvest them before they even start to do that. So they are just really concentrated with the vitamins, the minerals, and now they're starting to look at all these phytonutrients. Um, there's been a lot of hub about micro broccoli and broccoli sprouts, similar nutritional uh, content and looking at 
all of these phytonutrients that are, it's really exciting to learn about. And I feel like the research is going to continue to happen because they're finding so much out about this. And it's really getting regular people excited about microgreens. They're not just a pretty thing to put on a plate now. They are nutrient dense where if you are eating a handful of microgreens a day, you are getting a, a great amount of vitamins and minerals from a true food source. And we know that yeah. our bodies absorb that the best versus any kind of uh, synthetic or, you know, uh, vitamin or supplement that we might buy that's been manufactured, something where we're eating a living food. And they're so easy to eat because they're so tasty. You don't have the bitterness issues. They're just very fresh. Even my kids love them. And my kids are just regular kids. They go through their picky eating, yep. phases, but they really like the microgreens. So it's something that I feel good about as a parent too, being able to get them excited about wanting to eat greens. Absolutely. And, it, and just the fact that it's so nutrient dense, but also so accessible. So even if you're listening to this and you don't want to have a microgreen business, grow some in your in your house, regardless, and you're going to have that, that source of incredible nutrient. Um, so good. It's like, is it so much better? I mean, supplements are fine. I take some supplements, but like you can't beat the food sources of all those vitamins and minerals. It's always superior. So, right. And they're just so easy. You don't have to do a lot of prep work. You literally cut them with a knife or snip them off and throw them on whatever you're eating and just incorporate them in. It just makes it really easy. For me, I'm not a fancy cook. So I love it for that. Just every day, it's just a way to add some freshness to every meal. Yep. Even in the dead of winter, like, you know, we have eight months here where I can't grow anything other than fighting in the greenhouse. So (laughs) that's something even I could grow in December in something in the window or under a light. So yeah, very exciting. So as we kind of wrap up here, give us, this is always a fun question. People love mistakes. They love hearing about other people's mistakes. <laughs> I know my mistake episodes are always the most popular. So what are some common mistakes for microgreen growers to avoid? Oh, I have a lot that I have made personally. My first one is trying to grow too many varieties. Mm. So it's very easy when you start down this path to get excited about all of the different options. And I was that person for sure. I was growing chervil and basil and leeks and you know fennel and all these things on a micro scale and it's overwhelming because a lot of these need different environments to grow ideally and so uh you get discouraged easily because you're you're having failure because things are not growing in the same cycles and it's it's just very overwhelming that it's easy to uh, lose some money because you're spending all this money. And then do you have anyone even interested in buying these? You know, if you're growing in a small scale for yourself, fine. But if you want to turn this into a side hustle or a business, it's really wise to pick a couple varieties and start with those. Uh, I would start with two, really get them down until you feel like you, and remember the growth cycles are short. So, you know, in a month's time, you can grow out a few cycles of these and feel confident that you can consistently grow these. And then I would add one at a time, one, one new crop at a time until you sort of build up. And that way you keep your confidence up and you are growing consistently and you are growing crops that are actually going to be profitable versus trying to grow every edible flower and every micro herb that is possible to grow. So that, that is a mistake I made. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's one that people still continue to make once they start growing, because it is, they are fun to grow. So start with a couple varieties. That would be one. Yeah. Um, the other thing is 
if you want to market these, if you want to sell these, pick a customer base in the beginning. So decide if you say, I'm going to start selling at farmer's markets. Um, go and do your market research. Look around, see if anyone else is growing, see what varieties are growing. Think about your community. Are people interested in health? Are people more, is it more of a foodie type environment that people are coming to the markets? Think about what your customer is going to be wanting. You are there to provide something that your customer wants. Um, if you're appealing to restaurants, contact those restaurants, see what they're looking at, see what's on their menu, that kind of thing. Uh, so pick a customer base. And if you get a few customers and want to grow into other market streams, you can do that. But if you growing microgreens and then you're trying to dabble in, I'm going to do a home delivery for a couple people and sell to one restaurant and go to a farmer's market. Again, you're going to be very scattered. It's a lot easier to pick one. You can get your packaging and your varieties, pick everything that's really going to appeal to that customer. And in the beginning, you want to think about building your reputation. So I have been growing for years now. So people know my product. It's so much easier to sell now that people, people know it. I have to do very little in the way of marketing my own product. And, and that will happen for you too, if you develop a good reputation. So pick those market streams and really do a good job of serving those customers before you add additional customers. That would be another mistake that I feel like a lot of people make, and it's an easy way to, to fix it. Absolutely. I'm hearing with both of those, that reminds me of the 80-20 rule. We've ta I've talked about that on the podcast before. You know, it's, it's true in all of life, business and homesteading and scheduling. You know, 80% of your output comes from only 20% of your input. And we all, we're always so tempted to just do all the things as homesteaders and as entrepreneurs, but you have to really get strategic and go, what's actually giving me results? Which customer base, which type of green, um, and then put your energies into that. So yeah, Great. very, very true. I think yeah. it applies as much to microgreens as anything. Yes, Absolutely. the 80-20 rule. I've uh, found that to be very true. Yes, yes. Okay, so this is fabulous. Um, I know you have stuff to attend to, so I won't keep you too much longer, but can you remind everybody, I think you have a little gift for the listeners. Is that correct? Yes. Can you I'm tell you them where to find it? Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. I actually, I put this together because over the past year, I've had so many people approaching me wanting to know how I got started uh, and how they might be able to add this on as a little side business because either they love growing and want to find a way to monetize it, or they just want to find a way that they can make some money from home. And there's a lot out there on microgreens if you start diving into YouTube and those sort of things. And a lot of it makes it sound like, it's this get rich quick kind of thing. Uh, and so I put this guide together because while it's been so good for me, having a little microgreens business has been amazing for me and for my family and for so many others that I've now worked with, but it's not for everybody. So I put together just a little, like it's a mini course online. It's basically like half an hour of listening. And I just walk you through to help you determine if it might be a good fit for you. It's called the ultimate guide to decide if starting a microgreens business is right for you. So it's not a catchy title. It's very long, but, right. but the, the point of it is, is good. And I think is helpful. If you, this is something that sounds really interesting to you, it might be worth a half an hour of your time to listen in and see if this might be something that's a good fit for you. So you can, you can get it. It's free. It's handgrowngreens.com uh, forward slash free guide. And that will take you there. And um, I have it on my Instagram bio too. If that's easier, you can go and click on that and, and you'll, you'll get the link for it. 
And it just kind of helps you decide if this might be something that's a good fit for you. And like I said, it's such a scalable thing. So you can start very small scale, add it on to what you're doing. And if you love it, you can grow it from there. So the little free guide is kind of help to help you decide if it's something you might be interested in giving a try. So check it out. It's handgrowngreens.com forward slash free guide. Okay. And we will also drop that down in the show notes if you guys want to click on it there. And then if people want to find you Instagram, you're also handgrown greens. Correct. Right? And then yep. handgr- handgrowngreens.com. All right. Yep. That's cool. me. Well, thank you again, Laura. This was fabulous. I learned a ton and I'm, I'm intrigued. I don't think I'll grow them for profit necessarily because I, <laughs> I already have too many businesses, but I could see this being something just for our own consumption. I think yeah, this would be a great totally. addition. Yeah. No yeah. need to dive in deeper. So. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. I hope you found that inspiring. Lots of good stuff there. Even if um, maybe microgreens isn't your business, maybe it's something else. There's just plenty of great uh, reminders here in this episode. As always, friends, thanks for listening. And we will catch up again on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.